Listener discretion is advised. This audio may not be suitable for all audiences. Good evening, everybody. I know it's been a minute since I posted an episode. I know that I should have had an episode posted last week, but the time got away from me. (laughs) And we all know that I'm always behind on the podcast anyway. So, what's another week, right? At least it's getting done. That's how I see it, at least. But, since it's been so long since I've posted anything, since I've put an episode out, I say so long, it's only been like two weeks, not even. But, since it's been a long time, in my eyes, I decided to just go into a deep dive about what I'm going to be talking about today. So there's going to be quite a bit of history. I'm not going to, well, I'm going to cut out some of the history that I do have because I feel that it's not really relevant or overly relevant to what I'll be talking about today. I think um, I want to have enough history to where I can do this location justice. And just for a fun fact, this location is like six and a half hours away from Fort Worth. So, (laughs) if you're feeling adventurous and you want to go check it out, you sure can. I don't know the prices of the rooms for this location, but I do know they do ghost tours. I do know that it is one of the most haunted areas in the United States. I I really want to go stay at this place. And I'm going to quit leading you on, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that I'm going to be talking about the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. (laughs) This hotel has quite a history. It's unique in its own way, aside from being called the Crescent Hotel. I believe that I would enjoy a stay in this hotel, even if it's just for like a weekend or something like that. I would like to go there and experience everything that this hotel has to offer all the way to the residual haunts. If there's noise, I'm sorry. My neighbors are um, very loud for whatever reason. Usually I don't hear them, but of course, whenever I'm doing something, they're going to make themselves known. (laughs) So this past weekend, I went on a little investigation, and I say little because it really was little. I saw some people using the Estes method, and I heard some uh, very intelligent-sounding responses to the questions that were being asked. I don't know if the person doing the Estes method was actually able to hear the questions or not, so, you know, but I've witnessed it, and now, naturally, I have to try it. This same group that I saw was also using dowsing rods. I'm not a fan of dowsing rods in the slightest. I I don't know. To me, they're just, like, too easily manipulative, and, you know, they're just not very reliable with all the technology that we have nowadays. So 
it's kind of a really old school way of trying to do investigations. I mean, the guy who was using the dowsing rods out there, <laughs> he was very much following the person in front of him saying, hey, look, it's pointing towards you. But he was swaying his body. He was very extra. I, I don't know. You know, it just kind of ruined his whole, I'm an investigator vibe that he had going. He was loud and he was, you know, I respect what he did because I thought it was really well done until we pulled out the <laughs> dowsing rods, of course. I'm very skeptic of them. It was actually super fun to do, and I'm looking forward to going on another investigation now that I'm a little bit more experienced in it. I used to go a lot whenever I was uh, younger, so probably one of my early 20s, late teens. I would go with some friends, and we would uh, definitely not break onto private property. We were very welcome on this property. <laughs> And we would um, go and just take photos. And I've caught some very interesting things on my photos. There's one photo in particular, well, two or three actually, that were taken within a couple of seconds of each other. And for whatever reason, I'm unable to find those photos. I don't know where they're at. And I don't know what camera they're on, <laughs> nor do I know what memory card they're on. So we can deem them lost. I mean, those of you who have me as a friend on Facebook, you can pretty much see the album I have on there that is ghost hunting, but it's not been updated in 10 plus years. And now that I do this and I don't really post a whole lot on social media. It's just like, okay, <laughs> this is the most social media that anybody's really going to get out of me. I try to remember that I need to be drawing with what I'm posting, but fuck, it's, it's so hard to do when you don't have that much time. So I figure for now, until the time comes, it's just going to be doing as I've been doing. And I enjoy what I'm doing. So. Here we are. Anyway, back to getting on topic. <laughs> I'm very distracted of late. But back to the Crescent Hotel. This place is in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, which the name itself is pretty unique. And the history, it's, it's got a lot of history to it. And I, I don't know if I just want to like smoothly transition. I mean, I have the notes right here. I'm just, I'm just rambling. So I guess I'll just go. Thousands of years ago, the Paleo Indians lived in the Eureka Springs area. When the Louisiana Purchase was happening, another tribe, the Osage from southern Missouri, laid claim to all of North Arkansas as their hunting ground. By 1825, the Osage left the area and the U.S. government opened it up to white settlers. The area had a small population until Dr. Jackson, who was said to have found the springs, claimed that the water had healing power. Apparently, he shared it with just the locals at first. But according to local writers, Jackson began marketing the spring water as 
Dr. Jackson's eye water. During the Civil War, it's said that he set up a hospital, Dr. Jackson's Cave Hospital, and healed the wounded soldiers with the spring water and other natural remedies learned from Native Americans. By July 4th, 1879, the city was officially founded when Judge Levi Best Saunders built the first house. He was from another county, and he came to the springs to try the healing water for a skin disease he suffered from. Saunders' son allegedly suggested the name of the city to be Eureka from the explorer John Ponce de Leon. Fast forward a few years. And we have a man named Governor Powell Clayton, who was determined to unlock the potential in Eureka. Soon after the city's founding, a hotel opened in 1886, which is known as the Crescent Hotel. The hotel was for the lavish and the rich. It was created to attract the elite of the United States. And for 15 years, this was a hotspot for the rich. But it didn't last long. I'm not sure what the whole situation was. But anyway, by 1902, they had to close. They had to close because I'm guessing business was slow. I'm I'm just going to assume that people finally fucking learned that... that the water was not as healing as they originally had thought. So the hotel closed due to slow business and became a women's college called Crescent College, but that lasted a short time also. In 1937, I feel like the timeline's a little fucked up on pretty much my research. The Crescent was hotel... I feel like these should be 20. So... I'm going to assume that these are supposed to be in the 20s because some of the timeline doesn't fucking make any sense to me. So I will say between 1925 and 1930, the Crescent was purchased by a man named Norman Baker. Oh, this guy. He, a charismatic yet fraudulent figure, acquired the Crescent Hotel and embarked on an ambitious adventure. He transformed the hotel into the Baker Cancer Clinic, presenting himself as a visionary healer and claiming to possess the elusive cure for cancer. That's pretty fucking rough. I'll get into him in just a minute. He, he's an interesting guy. He is definitely an interesting guy. So by 1946, there were several owners who sought out to restore the Crescent Hotel to its original glory, meaning that they wanted it to be as it was when it first opened in the late 1800s. By 1967, a fire broke out in the hotel due to faulty or old wiring, destroying a good portion of the fourth floor. Faulty wiring has always kind of been a downfall for many older buildings. It's kind of crazy to think of how much fire has broken out over these old buildings. I, I, I don't know. I can't wrap my head around it. So 1972, Crescent Heights Developments Incorporated, led by investors, wanted to once again bring the hotel to its original former glory. And 
we're going to just fast forward to the 2000s. The hotel is still doing well thanks to the current owners who have owned it since 1997. Today, the hotel is still up and running and has since become known as one of the most haunted hotels in the United States. That's just a brief history on it. I didn't do much of a deep dive on it because I really wanted to focus on uh, our dear friend Norman Baker. Oh, this guy. He, um, he, he's kind of a dickhole. Kind of an asshole. He was a con artist through and through. This guy was good at what he did and apparently he was very influential in what he did. But, you know, that's just the actual gist of what I'm about to tell you. Because this guy, he's either going to piss you off or impress you. I'm not sure. I, I couldn't choose which, what side to choose because I'm like both pissed off and impressed. So Norman Baker, he was born in Iowa and I can't say the name of the city, so I'm just not even going to say it. It starts with an M. I'll end up saying it eventually when I get there. He was the youngest of 10 kids. He was a high school dropout who followed in his father's footsteps of becoming a machinist. One fateful day, he saw a show, a traveling mentalist, and his life was forever changed. Imagine that. <laughs> For a while, he traveled around the Midwest as an illusionist slash hypnotist, along with some other performers. After about 10 years, he married one of the performers, went back home to Iowa to resume his life as a machinist slash inventor. Listen, this guy was already fucking well off when he did all this, so he, he apparently came from a pretty wealthy family from some of the articles that I read. So, was he really losing out on anything? Probably not. He probably made even more just touring around the country, or around the Midwest, I should say, fucking doing what he did as an illusionist performer or hypnotist. I, I would like to find somebody who has, like, an article of what, you know, somebody who wrote about him. <sighs> A whale. We'll find that eventually. Let's see. After 10 years, he married a performer and went back to Iowa as a machinist inventor, patenting a ciliophone, a kind of steam organ. He also had a mail order business, a correspondence art school, and other business ventures that made him quite a bit of money. The ciliophone alone earned him $200,000, which in today's money is well over $3 million. In just one year. I don't know what uh, Ciliophone is. I didn't look at that part. But uh, if it was making him that much money, that's pretty fucking impressive. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just, I'm not here. And I just want to let everybody know this is way before the Baker Cancer Clinic. So this is way before. This is several years before, actually. By the 20s, he realized the amount of power the radio had, and just a few years later, he managed to get a deal with the Muscatine Chamber of Commerce to start a, t uh, to start a station in exchange for some goodies. And I say goodies, it's probably like fucking money and shit, who knows. To start a show called Know the Naked Truth, or KTNT. And this is what eventually put Eureka or Eureka Springs, on the map. 
<laughs> he ended up having an entire station built, had a gift shop. It the station was built on like overlooking a hill. It it's it's really it sounds like it's really nice. But he had like several anemones, if that's how you say that, like several add-ons to what he had built, which just fucking hell. <laughs> um, he always violated his broadcast license. He was supposed to do only five thousand watts, but he would do double that so he would do like 10,000 or more but that's enough of the little influencer let's get into why I'm really here so he was an anti-vaxxer he was always saying some very unhinged untrue stuff about the uh, AMA and because he was pretty much an influencer people were eating that shit up they were eating up every ounce of story that he told it was crazy. Like every rant that he went on, it was like he would suck in all these people. Wild. And <laughs> he he was known for wearing purple, having a purple car, purple everything. He you know, he was um, pretty fucking rich. He labeled himself as a self-taught healer. And by the time 1929 rolls around just a few years later, he goes to a cancer clinic hosted by another fraud named Dr. Ozias, who claimed to have the cure for cancer. And what, are, what is the cure? Dare I ask? I'm... <laughs> it's just pretty disgusting to know what the cure was. The cure was a secret proprietary blend of herbs and spices that was actually just corn silk, clover ground watermelon seeds and water but they swore that this was the cure for cancer they swore up and down they used this odd concoction to inject it into cancer patients to cure them claiming that they made a full recovery and that's when they decided that they were going to or baker that's when norman our dear friend norman decided that he was going to do a public demonstration of the cures. And apparently, just according to one website that I read, he cut open a man's skull in front of a lot of people, several people. Sick. By December of that year, he opened the Baker Institute, Baker Hospital, which he claimed had the ability to cure everything from constipation to cancer. He staffed the doctor with chiropractors, osteopaths, and Dilemma Mill MDs, calling them the masters of their profession. And of course, he heavily promoted it on KTNT, his radio station. He was getting complaints after complaint about his content on the radio station to the point where an investigation was actually launched and he was eventually unable to renew his license to continue his broadcast. Thank God. But, I mean, he already had a newsletter out, so he was still doing his thing through newsletter. They couldn't stop that, apparently. The, they, oh my God, I'm just, this dude just really fucks with me. See, they had five people that they demonstrated this in, and they claimed that these five people survived, miraculously overcame their cancer, 
of course that's false. This concoction was nothing more than fucking bullshit, you know? So (laughs) I, I can't imagine how much he made in the Institute itself just by these false allegations that he was able to cure the cancer. I mean, I'm sorry, I just kind of jumped in because I feel like I skipped a part, but I might come back to that part later. My notes are a little bit mixed up. Kind of. I'm, I'm actually not sure. I, I've spent way too long on these notes. <laughs> so apparently the patients could get an exam for just $10, which was both expensive and targeted towards the poor people of the city. And, of course, with each exam, the patients were told that they had the worst case of whatever they were suffering from. And the doctors, well, he wasn't a doctor. How could he possibly practice medicine? Well, that's where he had his uh, chiropractors and osteopaths come in to do his dirty work for him. Each treatment I heard was about $1,000 per injection, and apparently they had to get multiple, up to seven injections. And I don't know if that's daily or weekly, but basically, (laughs) you have to have the money, honey. You know, like you can't fucking go there, expect to be cured of cancer, even though you won't be. And, you know, he, he fed so much false hope to these people. It's disgusting. Patients who came to Baker's Hospital were promised that if their cancer wasn't cured in three to six weeks, they could return for more treatment free of charge, of course, except for board and room, according to court documents. Medical examinations at the hospital consisted of palpitating patients and pinching them and looking at them. Baker's facility did not contain any microscopes. Baker also offered guarantee cures for less dire conditions, such as hemorrhoids and varicose veins, using the same handful of ineffectual injections, regardless of the disease being treated. This fucking dude didn't even, like, try to change the fucking treatment. He was just injecting the shit in whoever he wanted to inject it in. Whoever was willing to pay him got the same injection that supposedly cured the cancer. Amazing. This is infuriating, you know, like, just, oh my god, I get so worked up over it. Several doctors and scientists debunked his shit constantly. Uh, The law tried to get him. He was arrested. Surprisingly, he only served one day. I'm not shocked by that. This guy sounds like he can talk his way out of anything. His real downfall was mail fraud for posting materials promoting his cancer cure which he actually ended up serving six years. That's pretty much a fucking slap on the wrist. Anyway, he finally passed in 1958. But this dude, when he would do his operations on the patients, when, or whenever an operation, I should say, was performed on a patient, they would collect some portion or some body part and stick it in a jar and take it down to the basement where he would look at them or study or whatever he did. And for those of you who probably know this hotel, we all know the basement is the morgue. I'm sure that morgue has seen several fucking people go through it. (laughs) 
I can't imagine. I, I just can't imagine. I, I've seen some of the flyers for this dude, and it's just like, wow, you really went that far. You really tried that. Okay, man. I mean, to be able to have the power to pretty much convince an entire community that you were able to cure cancer, that was a brief history, brief-ish history of the hotel and our friend Norman. And remember I said this is one of the most haunted locations, haunted hotels in America. You guys, you're in for it. (laughs) You're in for it. Several paranormal investigators have been there to find their evidence of the paranormal, including ghost hunters, ghost adventures, the YouTubers Sam and Colby, and a few others. I don't know why I didn't write their names down. There's been a lot of people who investigated there. And uh, I will be another one, eventually. (laughs) Not surprisingly, Norman, our dear friend, is one of the spirits to haunt the walls of the Crescent Hotel. Supposedly, he is in the morgue or basement, and the apparition of him has been reported to be seen a few times. And he always looks confused. Maybe he's confused about the uh, false cure for cancer he constantly advertised. (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, his apparition has been reported to be looking confused and sometimes he can be seen at the foot of the steps at the first floor of the hotel. His spirit apparently does not like to share the basement with the maintenance office or the director's office for maintenance. He reported that there was a table that had fallen down as he was leaving the office and he put it back up, made sure it was secure. And then when he was trying to leave again, the table fell over again because Mr. Norman does not like to be bothered or share his uh, basement morgue with all his little lovely collectibles in it. So the table fell over again and the door allegedly, supposedly, closed by itself. This door is massive. I've seen it on a couple of videos. It's huge. So it looks heavy and apparently it is heavy. And it somehow shut on its own. And what I mean, like, I don't even know. The door looks like it's fucking five inches thick. So I don't know how it possibly shut on its own, but supposedly it did. And there's a clip from Ghost Hunters where they were using their thermal camera And the number two on the cabinet where the body parts are supposedly was glowing red like it was having a heat signature for whatever reason. And, you know, uh, apparently in this cabinet, there were like things that were taken out of people's bodies during like surgical procedures. So here's a quote from just a few years ago, actually. We called the University of Arkansas and they brought the archaeological survey team. We did a dig in April of 2019 and they found more than 400 artifacts, many bottles and jars, medicine bottles, and a couple of specimen jars. A lot of these jars were said to have had body parts, like I said. I'm not sure if it was like actually tumors or just like random shit from people's bodies. I know that there was supposedly a jar of like human fat 
<laughs> human fat that was in one of the jars. And I think that they have like some replicas of the jars on display with the exception of that cabinet. At least that's from one of the videos that I watched. So anyway, while Sam and Kobe were there, did a spirit box session or they did an EVP session. And somewhere along within those two things, the number two was mentioned. And remember just literally a few seconds ago, I mentioned that ghost hunters, <sighs> ghost hunters had a thermal camera that had like a heat signature on the number two that is uh, stenciled into the uh, cabinet. And then we have ghost adventures. <laughs> yes, ghost adventures. They're never not going to be mentioned. Okay. Okay. I just want to put that out there. So while Jay was setting stuff up in the basement, supposedly he heard somebody either talking or walking towards him. So maybe he heard like footsteps or something. And he pretty much came running back to nerve center to where they sent Billy to go investigate. You know, let me jump back. So while he was at nerve center on one of their static X cams, they caught some of the curtains moving by themselves. Like they were just like, moving not a whole lot it wasn't like somebody was yanking them it was like somebody was just kind of pushing them a little bit it, it almost looked like there was like a breeze going by that's how they were moving so when he goes over there he does his little investigation to try to debunk the curtains moving and to his surprise uh he's unable to he even goes as far as like opening a door that is down there to try to debunk like was it a draft that's going down the hallway in the morgue or something like that but he could not figure out why the curtains were moving on their own so that was unexplained other investigators have used emf meters that had high readings during their time in the morgue then we can move on to the more famous spirit we have michael he is an irish stone mason from the 1800s and Apparently, while working on the hotel, that getting it built, he fell to his death in a spot that would eventually become room 218, which is one of the most active rooms in the hotel. This room is known for its supernatural activity. Some have even seen his apparition. That is described as being a muscular man in his early-ish 20s, having intensely blue eyes, a bushy beard, and long hair some say blonde others say red i don't know maybe it's like that strawberry blonde where it's like ish red and ish blonde you know so i don't know but a lot of people have reported having a lot of activity in that room some people have been hearing weird sounds other people get shaken awake at night some people have had weird feelings and weird sensations in that room Sometimes he'll pound on the wall, he'll turn the lights off and on, and even the TV. And apparently, he was also on the second floor while a worker was hauling laundry. Well, he was on the second floor, of course, why wouldn't he be? So there was a worker, she was hauling laundry, supposedly, and she wasn't able to move her cart all of a sudden. And apparently she like got onto him, like she yelled at him and he stopped and it started moving again. 
I was not able to find a whole lot on that. There wasn't any other article except for this one that mentioned it. So I'm like, okay, maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. And if it did, it's very unknown. But if I were to come across it again somewhere, I'm going to update somewhere. I might update on threads or something. Michael isn't the only spirit that resides in 218, apparently. There's also a Victorian spirit. He is called Mr. Grumpy. Don't know. He doesn't have a name. People have said that he is a solid figure that appears. He's often described as wearing a frilled shirt and a frock coat, which would be like Victorian era clothes. And he's very possessive of the room. (laughs) I don't know what that could possibly mean, but it is interesting that that's said. So some people think that he may have been a guest from when the hotel had first opened. There are reports of the doors being slammed and people being shaken awake again by possibly this guy and they often feel the sensation of being shoved off the bed (laughs) that's fucked up i don't know how i feel about that one sometimes this spirit is seen in the lobby or the bar and it's often that he will appear there just as you and i are And people will talk to him and he'll just like vanish or ignore them straight up, which same, I would, (laughs) I would probably be that be like, oh, social anxiety, can't do it, can't talk. But that's 218. So then we have a little friend. His name is Brecky. He was about four years old and I'm guessing he died while this was the Baker Hospital. He died from complications from appendicitis. He's known to be pretty playful because he's a kid. And um, he's always seen on the second floor. But he's often seen bouncing a ball. So people have left like balls around for him to play with. And I'm guessing that the balls have moved sometimes. I'm not sure. I don't remember because I have the memory of a squirrel. But that's all I have on him. Then we have the college student girl, the spirit of the college student who, you know, I mean, I said earlier that the hotel had a a slowdown in business to where it shut and then opened up as a college for women. Well, here's a college student from said college. Supposedly, she fell to her death from the third floor. And apparently there's a couple of people who have said that she may or may not have been pregnant at that time. And some people say that there is like a uh, residual haunting that happens. So at 1030 at night, they say that this will happen. The apparition of a woman falling enveloped in a cloud of mist has been witnessed with the spirit of a man also who simply and calmly turns away before disappearing. So, with that being said, was she pushed or did she actually fall? And who is the mystery man? Some speculate it could be a boyfriend. Others 
Well, I haven't heard anything. <laughs> but, you know, if it's a residual haunting, I wonder if it goes on every single night. Or if it's just got to be like one of those, it's got to have perfect condition types of residual hauntings. Who knows? The spirit of the woman is still supposedly in her old college room. Her face has been caught on the wall. And sometimes she's been caught looking out the window at like the surroundings. I, it's, it's in a beautiful place, the hotel. So there's plenty to look at. And while Sam and Colby were there, apparently Selena saw an entity or a shadow figure in the room that they were staying at while they were outside either doing a tour or getting ready to start their investigation. And weirdly enough, this was around the time of 1030, just a little bit, I think it was like 10 or 12 minutes after, when supposedly the spirit of the college girl is supposed to appear falling to her death. So they went back to the room to investigate and they left a camera running while they went to go look at other places to start their actual investigation. While they were gone, they caught a lot of unexplained sounds and bumps, but fucking weirdly enough, and like, I know I'm talking about them a lot because I literally just watched it, <laughs> whatever. So there's a part where they're filming in the bathroom or they're like showing the room, whatever. And you see a towel on the tub. Well, when they come back, there's that same towel, but it's folded neatly and placed in the corner of the fucking bathtub where it was not before. Now, I don't know if they came up there and moved it and are just claiming, I don't know, but that was in the room where she saw this giant shadow figure. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know. But that still is not going to stop me from wanting to drive six hours to Eureka Springs just to go check it out. Oh, and some other things that were weird that happened in that room was while they were trying to get in, the key was either it wasn't opening or something like grabbed the key and was like twisting it for them. It was weird. And I don't remember that far. So then we have the spirit of Theodora. She was Norman's senior staff member, but she actually possibly ended up turning to a cancer patient who became victim to his wonderful cure for cancer. You know, I need to look up how many people actually died from this guy because, wow. <laughs> so she has been seen in and around room 419. When her apparition has been seen, it's described as being tall and thin and looking through her purse for her key to the room. Now, this she was active probably when it was a hospital, so I'm not sure how that worked out because I'm used to modern hospitals. I don't know how shit was back in the day. Clearly, I was not born in the 30s. And I don't know anybody who uh, can describe that to me what it was like and I don't want to you know I might I might waste my time and like go on like a fucking google search and be like all right let me let me see what a 1930s style hotel looked like but then again I might not I don't know 
that's for future me to find out. So (laughs) she's known to be a neat freak and does not like guests that are messy. It's reported that if her room isn't to her standards, as in like neat and tidy, the guests will come back to having their bags mysteriously packed as if they had never unpacked in the first place. Then we have Nurse Ray. And this one, this kind of makes me feel kind of sad. See, I thought this was the one that was the cancer patient. I, you know, I, I guess I got this one and Theodora mixed up. So this one, this one is still working. This nurse is on the third floor, supposedly still working in the afterlife. When people have seen her apparition, they'll look out their door and they often see a young woman wearing a 1930s, what I'm assuming, nurse's uniform, pushing a gurney. And this might be a little extra, but a deceased patient's gurney. So a lot of the time people will hear the sound of an old gurney being pushed down the hallways. I'm not sure how true that is. Obviously, I'm not there to say like, holy shit, it's real. But I mean, there's there's a lot about this. This hotel is crazy. Then we have Powell Clayton. He was the governor of Arkansas and he loved that hotel. He helped build it. He loved it. And he, well, he was the governor. So obviously he had to stay in the governor's suite, right? So he's been known to be very friendly and helpful. He likes to socialize. So he'll talk to investigators. He'll talk to mediums and apparently nice guests. And he can be seen sometimes in the lobby. Seen sometimes. I didn't see anything stating that he was a full-bodied apparition, you know, but as a social human or a social spirit, he is likely in the lobby. So mediums and psychics have said that there are spirits in the dining room and lobby and people will feel cold spots and get chills. The photos that were taken in the lobby often reveal white misty figures moving apparently there's also portals in the hotel many believe it's due to norman baker and the patients he treated as stated with his lack of medical training countless patients died under his care the apparent portal in the crescent hotel is said to be located on top of what used to be the morgue of the makeshift hospital That sounds pretty accurate. When Ghost Adventures was there, they used the spirit box in the pain clinic, which is, I forgot what part of the hotel that was in. So anyway, they were in the pain clinic and they got a voice after asking a few questions that said, do you have credit or something related to money? Now, remember this dude, Norman Baker, he's a scam artist and he's all about the fucking money. Like I said earlier, if you want to be treated in the Baker Hotel, you got to have the money. So that was pretty much like the most significant stuff that I remember from the Ghost Adventures episode. And Sam and Colby, and listen, I've only seen clips of Ghost Hunters. I personally can't stand that show. <laughs> I used to like it before Ghost Adventures came out, but you know, I, I Zach Bagans caught me. 
and I've been in there since they came out. So, and a little fun thing, <laughs> it's I think it's pretty cute. So there's the uh, general manager spirit. He's a marmalade tabby cat. <laughs> he was proclaimed the general manager of the hotel, and he passed away in the mid '90s. And they said that at least 50 people, we'll say to 150 people, attended his little funeral. (laughs) And the hotel still has a portrait of him hanging in the lobby. Morris is also said to be the hotel's youngest ghost. I find that adorable. And yes, they still have a cat that is a general manager. I think his name is Jasper, though. (laughs) I wonder if he sees Morris hanging around and he's just like, oh, let's do cat things together. (laughs) I, I think that's cute. I don't know. I, that just me though. So I've mentioned the third floor a couple of times, but the weirdest thing to happen, and it's happened to a lot of people. Some people have actually experienced this. There's a section of the third floor that mysteriously causes people to feel off. A frequent phenomenon happens on the third floor where the hotel connects to an annex that was used during the hotel's tenure as a hospital. This area is said to be where the portal is located. Multiple guests report faintness, passing out, and temperature changes at this location with no known explanation. Guests will suddenly fall pale, fainting, Recovery is immediate, usually, but it does further substantiate the ghostly claims of the hotel and its connection to the other side. A lot of people, mainly the tour guides of the hotel, are able to confirm this, and I'm sure those who have been there and have like crossed through the hotel are able to also confirm this, saying that they possibly pass out and have had people pass out while they were going across this particular section. That's pretty crazy. I think of all that was said today (laughs) and the spookiness of the hotel, I would like to think that that's probably the weirdest fucking thing because why that spot? What about that spot? You know, because the girl didn't fall there or did she? There's see, there's a lot of things that I'm like, hmm, am I question? Should I be questioning myself or no? (laughs) That hotel is creepy. It's very old. I would love to see it. And yes, they still do ghost tours. I don't know how people can book like an investigation or how that works. I'm I'm pretty sure you can just investigate while you're there. I'm not sure, actually. (laughs) But they still do tours there. And like I said, if you're around Fort Worth, it's only like six six and a half hours away so i mean we can road trip anybody (laughs) anyway that's all i have on the crescent hotel hopefully i can come back one day and say i have been there and i have experienced it but like i say at the end of everything if you have been there or you have any kind of suggestion for a story, shoot me a message on Instagram. Send me an email. Alex again 
with two underscores or paranormalartist.podcast on Instagram and paranormalartistpodcast at gmail.com. Make your pick. I don't care which one you choose. (laughs) Just know that I don't have a Facebook. I don't like Facebook. (laughs) So, you know, it's been this way for the past 30 episodes. I'm always going to put the U.S. suicide hotline because I'm here in the U.S. Every now and then I will put the suicide number for Spain, but in this case, I'm only doing the U.S. today. So if you're feeling any type of way, if you're feeling suicidal or having suicidal ideation, call or text 988. They're open 365 days a year, 24-7. They have people that are really ready to help you and to help you get through your time of need. Like I've said before, I've called them. They've helped me. Mental health is a very important thing to me. It's very important. So stay kind.